How's everybody doing? Good, good, good. Hey, uh, just because I've been on this kick lately, can you guys get up, shake someone's hand you don't know, give them a high five, a hug, a thumb wrestle them, whatever you see fit? Did anyone actually thumb wrestle? Does anyone, did anyone do that? We should have like door prizes or something for that or something. Oh, there's some people in the back too. Or like a championship round or something. Okay, anyways. Um, hey, did everyone make it out to the worship night Friday? Was there, that was good, yeah. If you've never um, told Kyle thank you, the stress that that guy goes through for those things, um, especially when there's rain on the forecast and you're planning a big outdoor thing. Amazing though, if you were there for that, A, it didn't rain, and B, if you were up late enough, the, the bottom just fell out of the sky about 10.30, right as we were putting the last piece of staging in a truck. Um, the bottom just like fell out and it was crazy. It was just neat because the rain had held off the whole time and then right there at the end, like we were just laughing. It was just raining on us like crazy. I say laugh. I was running to my car, but um, you know, I, I was laughing as I was doing that. But uh, okay, so if you've never been to church here, uh, what we typically do we go through whole books of the Bible. We're about to wrap up the book of Hebrews. We'll do chapter 12 next week, 13 the week after that, and we'll be done. And uh, that's typically what we do. We do a whole book of the Bible. We break it down line by line, chapter by chapter, and work our way through it as long as it takes. And um, Hebrews has been a lot of fun. And we take a break from that a couple of times a year. One is for vision services, which we do two of those a year. And then we do three baptism services a year, which is what we're going to teach today. Now, these are very, very important to us. Um, in any organization, any business, restaurant, Walmart, whatever, there's a win, right? There's like a way that they clarify uh, achievement. In the church, or at least it should be like this in the church, our big win, our big goal is baptism. That's the number that we should care about. I know it's great that there's a lot of people here on the weekends, but the number that we really, really value in this church is how many people we are baptizing. And this isn't to be derogatory towards uh, other churches or other denominations, but we don't really worry about membership of this church. We worry about membership into the family of God, and biblically, that is through baptism, okay? So let me tell you what my goal is today. My goal is this. I want to teach you a lesson, uh, and I'm going to jump around, which is something I don't typically do, but I'm going to go hit a bunch of different places in the Bible and tell a couple of different stories from the Bible to emphasize baptism. And my goal, my objective is this, not only to educate you on what baptism is, I want to show you that it is immensely important to God, baptism, and I want to, at the end, encourage you, if you believe in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you, if you have not done this, or maybe you did it when you were a small child and you don't remember, or it wasn't your decision, I want to encourage you to do this. We have clothes, we have, for the first time in seven years, it took us to grow to like 20-something, or 20-something, uh, 2,000-something people to finally get warm water in these tanks, but we have warm water now, finally, right? The things we take for granted. If you were baptized previously, you know how cold that water was. It's like, like hot tub status right now. It's amazing. Um, so if you put off baptism, like, today's a good day. So... So we have the tanks ready, uh, we got clothes, we got towels, we have big packets, we have disciples uh, ready to like help you one-on-one -on -one discipleship if you choose to do this, and um, we've made everything just as easy as possible, okay? So you got notes in front of you, um, it's on version. if you have the app on your phone, you can follow along there, all the notes and, and everything are on there. I'm going to pray, I'm going to get into this lesson on baptism, and hopefully by the end of this, if you have not made this decision in your life before, 
Uh, at the very least, I hope I get you to consider and pray about that, okay? So let me pray. Um, Lord Jesus, God, I love you. I just want to thank you for all my, my brothers and sisters in this room, God. If there's anyone in this room who does not believe, I pray that just something today sparks an interest in you, God. If there are people in this room who do believe, but they've never been baptized, I pray, God, that through this lesson that, that you, in a very soft, gentle way, convict them and, and push them, Lord, to want to get baptized today. God, we want to thank you for the 48 or 50, however many so far we've already baptized this week, God, and, and that's just amazing, Lord, and we celebrate that, God, and we just want to see uh, more and more people publicly give their life to you, Lord. We love you, and we thank you, God, and we pray that you bless every church in our city this morning, bless every nonprofit in our city, God, help your kingdom to be advanced through all of us, Lord. We love you. We lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you know nothing about baptism, it's, it's not overtly complicated, what it is, is it's our symbolic and public display that one has chosen to be a Christian. That's essentially what it is. The Bible says this is where we become a new person, a new man, a new woman. The old person is dead. The new persona, the new person has arisen. This is also where the Bible says we're brought to life, that we were spiritually dead before baptism, and after baptism, we are now alive. Now, the way I describe this, this isn't a biblical thing, but it helps me understand it, is baptism to me is almost like a wedding ring. This is not my marriage, but it's symbolic of the fact that I am taken. Alicia is my wife and that, that she's, I belong to her. And so when you get baptized, baptism is symbolic of almost like your wedding ring. It shows that you belong to your heavenly husband, which is Jesus Christ. You're saying to everyone around you, I'm taken. Spiritually, I'm taken, Okay. So the Bible goes on here in a second, and, and it'll show us that baptism identifies us as Christians. It is the most evident, visible, tangible part of our adoption into the family of God. And baptism should mark a turning point. So when you become a Christian, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, we repent, right? We ask God to forgive us, and we change the way we think and act. That's what repentance really is. Now, there should be a turning point there. There should be an even greater turning point at the point of baptism, because what you're saying at baptism is, to all the people who watch you, family and friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, hold me accountable. You're saying publicly, I follow Jesus Christ. So there is even a deeper level of commitment post-baptism. This is what Paul says about baptism. Again, I'm going to jump around a little bit. Paul says, you are also circumcised with him in a circumcision not done with hands by putting off of the body of flesh. What Paul is saying is this, baptism is essentially a, a, a surgery, but it's not a surgery like where someone cuts off a tumor or, or cancer in your body. Baptism is a spiritual surgery where God goes in and removes the corrupt, evil nature that you had, and he creates in you something new and something different. He goes on to say this, having been buried with him in baptism... You were also raised through faith in the working of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So the same Holy Spirit that enabled Jesus Christ to raise from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that is activated inside the believer. And baptism is a part of that formula. It's a part of that process. So we think when we repent and when we give our life to Jesus and we're baptized, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, according to Paul, now lives in me. So let me give you some evidence Okay, so if you're on the fence about this, if I'm trying to build a case for baptism, let me give you some evidence from the Bible on why you should consider this. The first one is this. 
Jesus Christ set the example. Now, if we call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus, we should do what Jesus did, right? So Jesus came along when he was 30 years old. He started his ministry at 30, and he came to shake things up. Essentially, Jesus came, if you've been with us through Hebrews, you know you're probably a scholar in this already, but Jesus came to change the process by which we have a relationship with God, by which we are saved. And part of this process that Jesus was establishing was through baptism. Now, before Jesus, Jews had done ritual washings, but it, didn't, it wasn't a part of their salvation process, and Jesus was going to change that. Before Jesus, and if you've been with us, you know this, the Jews and, and everyone who followed God would have to kill an animal and pour the blood on an altar and burn certain parts of it and eat certain parts of it and all this very stringent ritual. And all that did was push back sin for a year. Jesus came to permanently eradicate sin in the believer. And that was done partially through baptism. So here's how this started. There was a guy named John the Baptist. He did a lot of baptisms. And he would hang out in the Jordan River. And they say this guy did somewhere in the neighborhood of over 100,000 baptisms, right? This left bicep just would have been enormous, right? Or if he was left-handed, the right one, whatever. Anyways, so people, that was funny, guys. You're dunking people all, you know, they laughed like crazy at the nine at that one. Anyways, so John the Baptist baptized people like crazy. One day, Jesus sees this, he walks up, he cuts line, because he's Jesus, he can do that, and he gets up there, finds John the Baptist, and he says to John the Baptist, who they were actually cousins by blood, but of course Jesus Christ is God manifest in flesh, and John knows who Jesus was, and Jesus walked up to John and he said, I need you to baptize me. John responded like most of us would have. John said, you should be baptizing me. I'm not, I'm not even fit to touch your feet. Why would you want me to baptize you? You should baptize me. And this is Jesus' response. He said, John, this is the way it has to be now. This is the proper way to do everything that God requires of us. This is what the Father wants of us. This is going to be the new process. And so I want to set the example is what Jesus was saying. So John listened to him, and he baptized him. So John baptizes Jesus. As Jesus comes up out of the water, it says that the sky opens up, the heavens open up. The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove on Jesus Christ. The voice of God is audibly heard, and it says this, this is my son whom I love. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. I say this every single baptism service. You've been coming here for years. You've heard me teach this 20 times. If you get baptized for no other reason, you should get baptized because it makes God smile. It makes him happy. He looks down on our obedience and he says, that's my boy, that's my girl. I am pleased with him. I am happy with what they're doing. Now, Jesus didn't have to get baptized. He didn't have any sin. He had no sin to repent for. There was nothing wrong with him. He didn't get baptized because he had to. He got baptized because he wanted to be obedient to the Father and because he wanted to set the example for us. And here's the thing. Jesus never asks us to do anything he hasn't already done. Even baptism, if he asks us to give our life or sacrifice, he's done those things too. Jesus never asks us to do anything that he hasn't already done. Okay, so another piece of evidence, the first one was Jesus set the example. Another piece of evidence is biblically there is an activation that happens inside us spiritually when we repent and we are baptized. Now, a relationship with God is a process. It's not just a one-time thing. It's not like you get married to him and you're done. It's a process. You grow and you mature. And as we move through the process, 
of being further and further set apart for God, that's called sanctification, as we're set apart for God, choices that we make in our relationship with him activate promises that God has for us. One of those promises is mentioned in the book of Acts chapter 2. And what it essentially says, I'm going to tell you the story here in a second, is when we genuinely repent, which means we ask God to forgive us and we change the way we think and act, and if we combine that with baptism, a public profession of faith, the Holy Spirit is activated inside of us and it empowers us to live in a way that pleases God. Now, if you've never read the book of Acts, the book of Acts is one of those crazy books of the Bible, right? Lots of crazy stuff happens in Acts. And what's happening in chapter two that I'm about to read to you is about 50 50 days or so after Jesus Christ had been crucified and rose again, the last thing or one of the last things that Jesus instructed his disciples to do as he was descending into heaven is he said this. He said, go to Jerusalem, rent this building, and wait for the Holy Spirit to show up. So about 500 of his followers went. They rented this room, about half the size of this room, in downtown Jerusalem, and they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. They didn't know what that looked like. You know, like someone sneezes and they're like, oh, and they're like, oh, it was just Peter. You know, like they didn't know what the Holy Spirit looked like, but they're waiting, they're fasting, they're praying, they're waiting on the Holy Spirit. 500 people dwindles down to about 120, right? The, the, the hardcore ones. They're in this room. They've been up there praying, fasting, waiting on the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter two, it says the Holy Spirit enters this room like a rushing mighty wind, right? And it starts to fill all of the believers that are in this room. It said they had tongues of fire. They spoke in other tongues. They went out onto the street. It's nine o'clock in the morning, right? All the the Jews are going to work and they're looking around and they're like, oh, what's up with the Christians? They must be drunk and it's only nine o'clock in the morning. And they're out there and they're just going wild in the streets, right? And so what happens is Peter, who's the, the, the leader of the church when Jesus ascends into heaven, Peter gets up on a balcony or a rock or a stump or whatever, and he jumps up there and he says, hey, 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 it's not what you think. They're not drunk. They're not drunk like you think. What happened is this, is that 700 or so years ago, one of our prophets, a guy named Joel, said that God would pour out his Holy Spirit on mankind. That's what you're seeing right now. And the way this is possible is we followed Jesus Christ, who you guys murdered, and he was crucified and he rose again and he poured out his spirit. That's what you're seeing right now. And so Peter told this to thousands of people on the streets of Jerusalem. And what's crazy is a lot of them believed him. And so they asked Peter, what do we do now? They asked the million dollar question. Okay, that's the truth. How do we respond to the truth? And Peter said this. He said, repent, all of you, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And when you combine repentance and baptism, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says, this is a promise. It's for you, it's for your kids, it's for those who haven't heard this yet, it's for those on the other side of the world that haven't heard it yet, whoever our Lord, our God, shall call. It's a promise for all of you. And so Peter continued on, and it said he urged them, and he taught them, and he testified, and he said, be saved from this corrupt generation. So get this, all who accepted the gospel, all who heard the gospel and accepted it were baptized. And that day there was three thousand of them. This church is about 2,200. Imagine all this church plus another 800 people all getting baptized in one day. It was amazing. They sat there and they baptized all these people. Now listen, 
If we talk about this combination of repentance and baptism activating the Holy Spirit inside the believer, I'll teach on 1 Corinthians again, but if you are in here and you claim to be a believer and you have repented for your sins and been baptized, you need to go back and read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. There is so much confusion about the Holy Spirit in the Christian church right now. There is so much confusion. And the Apostle Paul wrote three very direct chapters in Corinthians about the Holy Spirit. And he started off chapter 12 by saying, brothers and sisters, I don't want there to be confusion about the Holy Spirit. And he wrote three chapters on it. If we are Christians in here, we need to read about that activation that takes place in our life. It's a great picture, huh? Another piece of evidence that I'm gonna present to you is that Jesus simply instructs us to be baptized. And so sometimes it's simply about obedience. Can I explain everything? Can I tell you everything about baptism? I cannot, but I know that it is imperative that I do what Jesus tells us to do. And so if the word directly says baptize, I am called to baptize. And what happens with a lot of people, because we're naturally rebellious, all of us, is we always want to debate. We always want to argue. And that can be a very dangerous thing when it comes to us and God. But as Jesus was ascending into heaven, the last great piece of instruction that he gave all of his followers, including us today, as he was ascending into heaven, is he gives us what's called the Great Commission. This one I'm showing you right here. This is essentially the vision statement of God, if you want to think of it in business terms. It's a three-part statement that Jesus gives us that is exactly what he wants us to do, and this is what he says. And it's not ambiguous, it's very direct. He says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you until the end of the age. Go out teach, or I'm sorry, make disciples, baptize, and teach. That's what Jesus directly told us to do. And he says in the gospel of John, if you love me, you'll just do what I tell you to do. Do you guys remember when you became that parent? Because I said so, and you're like, oh, I've become my mother, you know, I've become my father. But sometimes I feel like God is just looking at us saying, stop arguing with me and just do what I tell you to do. If you loved me, if you trusted me, you would just do my commands. And he says, go out, make disciples, baptize, and teach. That is what the church is supposed to be doing. Okay, another piece of evidence is this, is that when we're baptized, we are identified with Jesus's resurrection. Now, the most beautiful thing about baptism, at least to me, is the symbolism that we get a fresh start. Baptism, now look, if you just look at the symbolism in it, when you go down, it symbolizes us dying, right? Our old self is dead. When we come up out of that water, it symbolizes a fresh start, a new beginning, us rising again. We identify with Jesus being buried and rising again. That doesn't mean life is perfect. You will still have struggles. You will still have moments where you, you have these kind of questions of faith, these things will happen. But the difference is you'll have the power of the Holy Spirit with you to help you overcome those times. We're no longer slaves to what we used to be. No, we're no longer slaves to our former selves. We're new creations in Christ. For anyone who's been through any kind of uh, recovery programs, um, a big problem why I love CR so much and why uh, I kind of have a problem with NA and AA, I don't have a huge problem with it, but my, my one problem with AA and NA is this. 
When people stand up and they say, my name is so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic. I've been sober for 25 years or 30 years, but I'm an alcoholic. Biblically, if you have asked God to forgive you of your sins and you are baptized in his name, you are not what you used to be. So the statement that I am this is incorrect. You are a follower of Jesus Christ and you've been made new and you are a new creation. And the former self is gone. It is gone. You may be a recovering that or a former that, but you are no longer that. So this is what it says biblically about that. Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Just what I just said. The old quarry is dead and gone. Therefore, we're buried with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised back from the dead, we too walk in a new way of life. That we are not the same as we used to be. We are new. We walk differently because of the power of the Holy Spirit. It goes on to say, for if we've been joined with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we'll be joined with him in the likeness of his resurrection. Listen, for we know that our old self is crucified. Our old self isn't put in the closet so we can pick him up later. Our old self isn't waiting around the corner to scare us when we walk around. No, no, our old self has been violently murdered, gone, dead, and sin's dominion over the body is abolished, not put on pause. It's dead, it is dead, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who died from baptism, through baptism, is freed from sin's claims. We are free of that. Okay, so when we baptize you, we hope to pray Jesus' name over you. Now let me give you some clarity on this. I came from a denomination that believed, oh, I shouldn't have said it like that. I came from a denomination that believed if you came up to get baptized and if the exact perfect words were not said over you when you went under that the baptism was, was null and void. I do not believe that. If you decide to come up here and get baptized today, it's not by what I say. That does not uh, give you validity or, or that doesn't validate your baptism. It is the state of your heart when you get in that tank that validates your baptism, where you are with the Lord. But after saying that, let me also say this. I believe in the name of Jesus, and I want to make sure that whenever you get baptized, we pray the one name that you're going to identify with until the day you die, hopefully, and then for eternity you will identify with. We want to pray that name over you because that's the identity you are adopting. Now, if you want to get into the biblical side of that, Peter taught every Jew that he told about Jesus Christ to baptize in the name of Jesus. Paul taught every Greek and Roman that he came into encounter with to baptize in the name of Jesus because that name is clear. There is clarity to that, and all power is in the name of Jesus Christ, Romans 10, 13. So if you come up here today and let's say you baptize your friend or your kid or your, your spouse or whatever, and you don't know elaborate words, you don't have eloquent things to say, if you just say in the name of Jesus Christ, that is more than enough. That name holds all authority, all power, all weight, and we don't have to have fancy words. We can just say Jesus' name, and that is completely sufficient. Now, it says in Galatians, also says this in 1 Corinthians 12, that for all of you are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you who've been baptized into Christ have put on Christ like a garment. I love this. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Jesus Christ. And I will not get on a tangent here, maybe just a little bit, but just for a second. We have one major huge problem right now in the United States and the world. And what it is, is we have a huge identity crisis. 
And what the church has done wrong is the church is like, man, we need to go focus on those transgendered or those people who struggle with sexual sin or these other things. We have not done an adequate job of telling people that their identity is not found in their sexual preference, their occupation, the color of their skin, their nationality. Your identity is found in your creator, Jesus Christ. And if you will find your identity in that, everything else will work itself out. We're so busy dealing with the symptoms of a much bigger problem. The symptom is transgenderism. The problem is you haven't found your identity in Jesus Christ. And that's not a slam on anyone. The church has gotten it completely backwards. We're so busy dealing with the sneeze that we forgot to deal with the infection. Sorry, that was a tangent. Okay, so if you decide to get baptized today, we will fully submerge you and it will feel wonderful because the water is super warm. Okay, so <laughs> the reason why we're going to submerge you, there's, this is not anything groundbreaking at all. If you want to be technical about it, the word baptism simply means, here it comes, to dunk you in water, right? To completely submerge you. So from a, a um, metaphorical standpoint, if you're identified with a burial when you get baptized, we want to make sure we properly honor you and honor God and completely submerge you. Just like if you were burying a loved one, to do that honor, you would completely cover them, and there's just the ceremony that takes place. We do the same thing with baptism, okay? We completely submerge you. Okay, so the big question, right? The one that people argue about and denominations are split over and people fight about like crazy the great question, the million-dollar question, do you have to be baptized to go to heaven, right? Let me read you my favorite story on baptism. It's in the book of Acts, chapter 8. Let me start in verse 26. So an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Philip was one of the 12 disciples. Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and high official of Candace, who is queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. This man had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah out loud. Let me pause. So Philip is one of the 12, original 12 disciples of Jesus. Okay, He's hanging out on the outskirts of Jerusalem. This is a couple of months after Jesus Christ was, was crucified and rose again. The Holy Spirit had been poured out and all the disciples have kind of kind of shot out, and they're now spreading the gospel, okay? So this Ethiopian eunuch, who is extremely intelligent, extremely wealthy, was probably the third most powerful person in Ethiopia at that time. He was the treasurer for the queen, okay? He is going into Jerusalem to worship the true God. He believed in the true God, right? But he did not know who Jesus was. He didn't know about the cross. He didn't know about the resurrection. None of that. But he went into Jerusalem to worship at the temple, and he was on his way back out. And this guy must have really loved the Lord. He was sitting there reading out loud the book of Isaiah from the Old Testament. Now, Isaiah was a prophet that prophesied about Jesus Christ. And so the part that this guy was reading out loud happened to be about Jesus Christ. Okay, that's where we're at. So the Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. Let me pause again. Look at this. Look at how God works. This guy's reading about Jesus Christ, whom he knows nothing about. A guy wanders up and he goes, hey, do you understand what you're reading? He goes, I don't, unless someone could teach me. 
And one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus happened to be the only guy with an earshot. How can I, he said, unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearer, he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who is this prophet talking about, himself or another person? So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning from Isaiah. Now again, Philip comes up, sits in the chariot, and this guy's probably like, explain to me the scripture. And Philip's head's about to explode, right? He's like, okay, let me tell you about this. That is talking about a guy named Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah, the Son of God, sent from God to humanity. I lived with him for three years. We traveled all around Israel. I saw him raise the dead and heal the sick and make the blind see and make the deaf hear. And get this, the, the, the council, the Sanhedrin of the, of the town you just left murdered him just a couple of months ago. But this is crazy. He didn't stay dead. He rose again, poured out his Holy Spirit, which this guy probably had read Joel as well, poured out his Holy Spirit, and I received the Holy Spirit of God. And so he went through this whole thing and he said, man, poured out his spirit. We were speaking in tongues. We went out onto the street. Everyone thought we were drunk, but we weren't drunk. And my buddy Peter had to explain this to everyone. And he said, repent and be baptized. And you can also have the Holy Spirit of God in you. And it says, as they traveled on, they came to some water and the Ethiopian eunuch, look at the exclamation point, said, look, water, get this. If you were sitting here reading a text about the God that you believed in, and then all of a sudden, someone walks up and says, I knew this individual personally, and if you do these things, the Holy Spirit of the God you serve will live inside you. No wonder there's an exclamation point, right? If you're told that the Spirit of God can live inside of you, he said, look, there's some water. There it is, and he's getting excited. And he said, what would keep me from getting baptized like you just told me about? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you can get baptized. And here it is, here it is. And the Ethiopian eunuch replied, he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If you have ever said that I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you should want to be baptized. That's essentially what that says right there. And so what happened is they stopped the chariot, they jumped out real quick. I'm sure all the employees of this guy are like, what is our boss doing? Is he ran out to some dirty river or whatever and got dunked by some Jewish guy, right? They're all kind of like, okay, came back soaking wet. But that's what he did. He was excited about it, and he got baptized immediately. Now, I love this story. I love it. The problem with this story is it does not answer the question, do you have to be baptized to go to heaven? Do you know why I don't think this story answers that question? Because that question sucks. Whenever, whenever listen, whenever one realizes when one starts to understand what the cross represents, when one has a knowledge, listen, that the God that created the universe came down to earth, looked humanity in the eyes, worked like one of us, served mankind, willingly got up on a cross, was spat upon and humiliated and died an excruciating death, 
and then rose again and poured out his spirit on mankind. When one has a knowledge that that has taken place, how arrogant is it of us to look back at that God and say, what's the bare minimum I can do for you? Think on that for a second. Whenever we approach the Lord, let's take baptism out of the equation. Whenever we try to come up with the list of bare minimums that I have to do to get into heaven, what is wrong with our heart at that point? Whenever we approach a God that has been so gracious and so loving to us, and all we can think of is how little do I have to do, do your marriage like that and see how that works out for you. Do your friendships like that and see how that works. And if that doesn't work, why in the world would we apply that mentality to a God who loves us so much? And when we understand the cross of Calvary, when we understand what God has done, our questions should never be focused around, do I have to? There are so many Christians wasting so much time on semantics and do I have to do these things when our focus should just simply be on God what more can I do to make you happy? What more can I do to pay you back? I know we can never pay him back, but what more can I do to show you that I love you and that I'm grateful for the grace that you've shown me? Man, if all the Lord does is ask us to get into some water in front of our people to publicly say that we love him, that is not a lot. That is not too much of him, of him to ask. So my question is this. And I'm not, I don't ever want to guilt you or scare you or manipulate you into baptism. That's not what baptism is about. Baptism is joyous. We clap and we cheer and we celebrate and we hug. And it's funny. I've done literally thousands of baptisms in the last seven years. And I've never baptized one person that came out and was like, eh. I've never done that. They're like Jeff Russo, right? The guy that just got baptized. Dunk him and I just, I didn't even my hands on him. He just like shot up out of the water and started hugging everyone in sight, right? Just grabbing people and getting them all wet. Baptism is joyous. It's amazing. And I've seen such transformations in people's lives when they've been obedient. There's nothing magical about the water. It's God being faithful to your obedience. And when you're obedient, God is faithful and he does amazing things with us. It's not easy. I would dare say life gets a little bit harder because now you've said to all heaven and hell that you follow Jesus Christ. You've become a threat it's, the, it's, it's one of the best things you'll ever decide to do. And I just want to encourage you. If you're in here and you have not done this, what's, what's stopping you? Why not? So what I'm going to do is, is uh, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. If you're in here, let me go down the line a little bit. If you're in here and you profess to follow Jesus Christ and you have not done this, there's people that will pray for you, there's clothes that you can change into. We have towels. The water is warm. It, everything is taken care of. Again, we have whole teams of, of disciple makers that will do one-on-one -on -one discipleship with you and we'll put you in classes where you can learn about the word if you want to do those things. And we'll, we'll, make, we'll make it as easy for you as possible. All I ask, if you're in here and you profess Christ and you have not been baptized, I just want you, I just want you to pray about it right now. You say, God, is this something you want me to do? And then if he says yes, you need to be obedient. If you're in here and you're not being baptized and you're a believer, there is, there is communion all the way around this room. Every single uh, table that has a lamp on it, there's communion. That represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ and his spirit that was poured out on us. 
Everyone is welcome to take that as long as you ask God to forgive you of your sins. And then the last group of you in here. If you're in this room and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, come find one of us after, afterwards and talk to us. And if you have any questions, or just, just let us know. And let's see if we can walk this out together a little bit. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, God, I love you. I thank you, Father, so much for everything you've done. Lord, I thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the great lengths you've gone to for us, Jesus. We praise you, God, and we love you, Lord. If there's anyone in this room who has not made the public profession of faith through baptism, God, I just pray that you speak to their heart, God, and that you just gently convict them, gently nudge them, Lord God, into this, Lord. We thank you, Father, and we love you. And we just, we just praise your name this morning, God. Thank you for all the people who've already been baptized, God. And thank you for the ones who are about to do it, Lord. We love you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, look, there's people on both sides, guys. If you want to get baptized, make your way to either side. They'll set you up. They'll get you everything taken care of. If you want to help yourself to communion, you're welcome to do so. Uh, please be respectful of others and make yourself at home, okay?